Hi everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, Senior Product Marketing Manager at Mention Me. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business. And the results of harnessing brand advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable, organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Paul Zak, author of Immersion, The Science of the Extraordinary and the Source of Happiness. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be with you. So you're here today to talk about the science behind building a base of loyal fans. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. Uh, I'm a professor at Claremont Graduate University, and I'm a practical neuroscientist. So I use neuroscience to solve practical problems, like how do we wow customers every time? How do we communicate most effectively? And how do we create workplaces for employees who can be really productive and satisfied at their work? Uh, And in doing that, also founded the first neuroscience-as-a-service software platform, Immersion Neuroscience. Fabulous. I must say, this has been an episode I've been really looking forward to. I find all this very interesting, so can't wait to get stuck in. Um, Now, traditional on this show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where, as a consumer, you've experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer. So I'm going to go back one step and talk about uh, this word love, which I think is really important, a complicated word in English, right? Different kinds of love. But when we look at the pathways in the brain that facilitate wowing customers, create loyalty and make an amazing experience, they're very similar to actually falling in love with other people, romantic love, friendships. So the brain is very conservative. So I love that you use the word love because it really is neurologically very, very similar. So I'll give you one uh, that happened to me. This is probably 15 years ago. Went to Australia for the first time, forever flight, right? And at a meeting in Canberra, sorry for my Australian friends, but the world's most boring city. And uh, anyway, go to Sydney for a couple of days, drive to Canberra. And then it was so boring, I went back to Sydney for a couple of days. And I stayed at the Four Seasons, which is always lovely. And uh, anyway, get back driving, I'm tired pull into the Four Seasons, and the the uh, doorman says, welcome back, Dr. Zach. Your room's ready for you. Here's the key. Holy moly, you're beat up. You're tired. All you want is to feel like I can rest. I have a place for me. Now, I can tell you how he knew all this information, but it felt like, oh, they really care about me as an individual, not just the general person. So again, I had stayed there a week before, so they knew I was coming back. But it was personal. It was helpful. It was warm. It you know satisfied all the needs I had. And now, of course, when I'm traveling, if someone's flying me somewhere and say, "Yeah, you can stay at the W, the Four Seasons, the Hilton, where oh, the Four Seasons for me, the Four Seasons, it's going to be fabulous." The reason I love that example as well is that was a time where you really just needed a little bit of customer love. It was just crying out for it. You had that long flight, you were exhausted. So it was just the perfect timing for that, which was uh, which was great. I'm not sure how many listeners we've got in Australia, so we can always edit out that bit about Canberra if we need to, but um, I think we're probably pretty safe. Now, um, 
In your book, Immersion, you talk about how some people are more predisposed to becoming super fans to a brand than others, which I think is really, really fascinating. Would you mind elaborating on this a little bit more? Sure. And also think about the value of super fans, right? So again, we would like to exceed customer experience, uh, you know, more than what customers see, but some people just love it. And they, like me, they had a great experience and those super fans will work to spread the word about your brand or your business. And so to find these super fans and ask them to help you is so valuable, right? It just drives up the value of that brand or company. It's super important. So I think what we want to do is know who the super fans are. So we have a, a trait issue and a state issue. So in psychology, they kind of separate out trait and state. So your personality traits are more or less fixed. They're kind of what you're born with. They're largely genetic. And so people who by personality are agreeable and empathic tend to be people people. They are more excited. They're more emotional for every experience we see. They are more immersed in that experience neurologically. Then the second part of that is their current state. So sometimes we're just ready, like me in the Four Seasons. I needed a little extra love and I got it. So maybe by personality, I'm not super agreeable. I'm a little bit of a disagreeable person because I'm always a skeptic. I want to learn something as a scientist. But I was in a state where I just needed that. And so I became a super fan for the Four Seasons. So that interaction of trait and state means it's difficult to sometimes forecast who a super fan might be. But if you can find them, behaviorally online, ask them to help you because it's a big part of their personality. By the way, I've told this Four Seasons story many, many times. I'm just waiting for them to call me and go, you should be our new spokesman, spokesman, right? Again, I'm just a fan of the brand. I think they just do a fabulous job. I love that. Um, but I want to put to you, so if you're saying that neurologically some people are more likely to become a fan than other, is it is it possible then for those people that are less predisposed to becoming a super fan to be ultimately turned into one through the experiences they have with businesses and also vice versa? Can people who are more predisposed to uh, being a super fan be lost through the experience they have with a business? Yeah, a very also a very good question. So um, again, I don't think I was a hotel super fan. I, I'm not loyal to any hotel. Uh, so, you know, they sort of turned me into a super fan by, uh, exceeding my expectations by far when I really needed it. So it's that kind of need, I would call this readiness to create a super fan. You've got to be ready for this. Right? If you're not ready to have a great experience, um, the term of art is psychological safety. So if you're not comfortable, if you're not able to actually engage, say with a customer service agent, then you're not going to be a super fan or even online with a brand, right? So if I'm worried, tired, hungry, um, generally, I just don't have the brain capacity to do it. So the first is to make that customer comfortable. So if someone comes in your store, your online experience, they're doing an online chat, how are you? I mean, how's your day going today? Now we do that quite naturally. If it's in person, hey, would you like a, a cup of coffee or a glass of water? Oh, well, that's unexpected. I just walked in a, a nice shop. Okay, now it's it's becoming more comfortable. You want me to have a great experience as a customer, you've got to create that experience for me. So that's the first. Now it's very easy to also break that uh, you know long experience of even loyal uh, super fans by just treating them badly. So ignoring them is not as bad as bad treatment, right? So I might ignore you and you're like, uh, the Four Seasons or Disney or whoever doesn't love me anymore, but right? If you treat me badly, I'm having an experience and you're just, you're condescending or you don't care. Like, oh, 
I hate Starbucks now because the person wasn't nice to me. So it really uh, kind of, I always think of this as customer lifetime value, right? I want to drive up customer lifetime value. I can do that one-to-one, having given you a great experience every time, exceeding your expectations, but also I'm going to do it at scale by having this troop of super fans who are wanting to talk about me, who are writing about how great their experience is every time they go to this place. Um, so all the major movie studios have fandom departments, right? So they actively engage fans, particularly for the universe kinds of things, uh, where there are you know, multiple, multiple movies, Star Wars, uh, Marvel, um, engage these people. They love it. It's a big part of their life. They're dressing up in costumes. They're talking about it all the time. And so they drive up customer lifetime value at scale. I think that's super important. Absolutely. And I'd like to explore in more detail this idea of brands really focusing on not just their biggest spenders, but also their biggest fans um, and the benefits that you've seen this approach having for businesses. Right. And we see this a lot when you look at these data. You'll see that there are, quote, super fans who are not big spenders, right? They may just buy once every, uh, you know, couple years for a modest amount, but they're so vocal, both in word and mouth and social media, that if you look at the value that's assigned to that that super fan, because they're connected to so many people who are big spenders, then the actual attributable lifetime value to that super fan is much, much higher than the whatever, 40 bucks they spend um, every other year. So I think it's really tracing that out. And that's just a, a data analytics problem, right? So looking at how this person, you know, became a customer of yours who recommended them. So I think number one, you know, getting the right data. Number two, oftentimes what we found we measure brand activity is that there are um, pockets of unexpected super fans. So concrete example, uh, many of the movie studios use the immersion neuroscience technology to measure the neurologic value of experiences when they, for example, make movie trailers. All right. The, the goal of movie trailers is to get butts and seats. I got to get butts and seats. And so we were uh, watching, I'm just suppressing with a big studio that uh, you would know, um, that was uh, looking at roughs of trailers and a whole bunch of them. And um, and I, they invited me to the studio to hang out and watch with them. Okay, cool. That'd be fun. I'll drive out to a movie studio and uh, watch them use the technology I developed. And uh, one of those trailers was for a comedy starring four African-American female comedians. So I can guess the target market. And indeed, we had a bunch of uh, uh, African-American women in the group. They were super fans. And we found that middle-aged, or they found that middle-aged white men were also super fans of this comedy. Why? I cannot tell you, right? But that was a very consistent finding across all the data they collected. So now I've got this other group to speak to. So besides placing, um, uh, you know, with ads for the TV, for the movie on, I don't know, Black Entertainment TV, um, what about, I don't know what middle-aged white males, what, what, you know, TV channel they watch, but these were meant to run on TV or in theaters, right? So, you know, play it after white guy, middle-aged white guy movie or before the movie as a trailer. So I think that's really invaluable intel. So again, you can find that either by measuring neurologically, by tracing out who's connecting to whom, but by getting all those data together and creating that map, you really can drive up the value of your uh, brand or your experience. I love those examples. Um, and I'd actually like to use this as an opportunity to maybe dive into what immersion neuroscience is all about and uh, and how you're working with brands to really unlock the value of that. Right. So this uh, origin story here is that uh, this was originally funded by um, the U.S. Department of Defense as part of the war on terror. 
and we were tasked with identifying signals in the brain that would consistently and accurately predict what people would do after a message or an experience. You can imagine the Department of Defense and other agencies of the U.S. government would like to be able to influence people to help us, to give us information, uh, whatever, cooperate. And so uh, about $5 million of taxpayer money uh, went into uh, not only finding signals in the brain that satisfied this accurate and consistent goal, but we took these signals and convolved them. We, we mathematically combined them into this overall measure of called immersion, which appears to be the brain's valuation mechanism for experiences with social content, right? So if I were um, alone and I'm drinking my coffee by myself, that's not immersive. But if I'm talking to you, my immersion's high, right? We're having a great back and forth. It's a social experience and my brain is valuing that. And because the brain is very lazy, because it takes so much energy to run your brain, basically it wants to idle. So immersion is metabolically costly. So when I see this immersive state, which I can pull from uh, things like wearables, like Apple Watches, by applying algorithms in the cloud that we've developed, um, I can see in real time that your brain is capturing the emotional value of this experience, this social experience. And when it captures that, it tags the experience as important. And important experiences, emotionally important experiences, are saved in the brain in a very particular way. They provoke action, but they're also more easily recalled. So again, my criterion here is increase in customer lifetime value. So I want to wow you now, high immersion, and I want to plant the seed, create a craving to return and do this experience again. Now that's how CLV is driven up. Um, and so uh, we built the first neuroscience as a service software platform. So you don't have to talk to weirdos like me, but anybody can measure what the brain loves in real time, any place people are doing cool stuff. So life branding experiences, shopping experiences, online marketing, uh, we have a lot of people using this, a lot of companies using this in the training space. So, Simeon, you and I have both been to a ton of, uh, you know, corporate training sessions, and they are normally just sleepers. But what's the ROI from training? It's, do you remember this information? Did it shake up your brain so much and information stuck in there? So, a month, two months, two months later, you can use this new information to create value for your organization. Well, immersive experiences, because they're saved in the brain in a very particular way, uh, increase information recall. Um, so that's an interesting application. And then lastly, um, it turns out that social withdrawal is a precursor for a whole variety of psychiatric and neurologic disorders. And so increasingly, we have people using our platform to monitor vulnerable populations to capture when they begin to have things like symptoms of depression and anxiety. And we can very accurately predict in advance that people are heading into these troughs and get them help before they have a crisis. So we've gone far from customer experience, but if you think about the sort of um, universe of things that we wanna have as a customer, yes, a great experience now, but also a great experience later. So one of the interesting findings is that if we have these deeply immersive experiences, including customer experiences, we build people's uh, uh, emotional fitness up. We give them greater experiences. We kind of expand their brain to be really connected to those around us. So I think this is a sacred duty of businesses, which is if I can wow you, I'm giving this amazing experience. Yeah, good for you, good for the business. But now I'm training people's brains to be emotionally engaging and fully present. And when I can do that with my friends, with my family, then I've really created a better human being. I've helped you grow as a human and, and potentially expand your health span. 
I love I love that closing point. Actually, uh, we had Fred Reichold on recently, and he was talking about the value of, or, or businesses rather, should be thinking about how they can make their their customers' lives better. Obviously, he created the NPS score, and he was saying that he almost called it net lives enriched rather than NPS score. And I think what you were saying there is almost kind of taking it to another level. Really, you're talking about making them people better as human beings. I, I just love that comparison there. I think that's fascinating. And don't we want that, right? Don't we want to have, again, back to my four season example, although I could give you many more, you know, like they made my life so much better. They planted this seed in me. And now my whole time in Sydney is nicer because I have a nice experience. I put my feet up, had a nice meal, right? My whole life is being better. So I do think that there's a giant win-win space here for the customer, for the company, and for society. Right? When I come home now, instead of being beat up and tired and staying at some crappy hotel where they didn't know my name and my bed sucked, I come back refreshed. I come back happy. So now I'm a better spouse to my wife. I'm happier to see my kids. Right? All those kinds of things happen. So um, I think you know it's not insane to think about the experience economy as literally neurologically transformative. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and what do you see as um, potentially holding businesses back from delivering these experiences to their customers? Do, do, do businesses just not really understand or get the value of it? I'd be really interested from your perspective, the kind of conversations that you're having with businesses about this. Yeah, I've had a ton of those in the last you know 15 years. Um, I think it's a couple things. One, I think particularly in the US, but also in Europe, this kind of focus on quarterly results. So there is some investment that you've got to make to ensure you're wowing customers, right? We talked about the data. We talked about measurement. So there's an upfront investment, and that investment may not pay off for a year, two years, three years. But again, if you think about how many people we influence and the value of word of mouth, it's it's extremely valuable. But you've got to actually have some data analytics team that can connect the dots there, number one. Number two, it seems like it's hard to measure. I have sales. What the hell else do I need? right? If I'm selling more junk, then I must be doing a good job. Maybe, maybe not, right? So it's not selling more stuff may mean I'm just meeting your expectations. The price was fine. The service was fine. I bought stuff and I'll keep going back. This is Walmart. By the way, I love Walmart. I love the democracy of Walmart. Everyone's in there. They want the cheapest price. I don't really care about service. Although, you know, the people working there are fine. Um, I just want to get the best stuff. uh, Well, I want to get okay stuff at the cheapest price different experience than the Four Seasons or, you know, a high-end uh, luxury store. So I think the last thing is to, to really think about measurement, right? If I can't measure the experience I'm having outside of sales, then how do I know I'm doing an amazing job? I mean, I could ask people, but if I ask people to rate something, you know, you know, how, how much do I like my iPhone? I, I don't know. Compared to what? Compared to my kids? Actually, forget my kids. They talk back to me. Compared to my dog, my dog's perfect. My dog's 100, you know. So, I, you know, we don't have the ability to consciously extract this unconscious emotional experience. But I think with technologies that we've developed and other people have developed, now we actually can capture the value that our brains are getting from these amazing experiences. And companies can lean in and use that to drive up customer lifetime value. So it could be as simple as just asking those super fans for help. Hey, what, what can we do better? Oh my gosh. How many times? I mean, it's so rare that someone says, Hey, thanks for, for shopping with us today. It was amazing. Um, what do you think we should be doing better for the next customer? Or the next time you come, wow, that would be awesome. 
right? Or would you, as opposed to, um, you know, can you fill out the survey for us? Here's a gift for you, right? So in the book, I talk about uh, Panera Bread, which is a, a, a kind of fast casual chain, very uh, 3,000 locations in the U.S. And they have a great loyalty program that uh, is is so well calibrated that every between three and nine or 10 times I go, I get a free muffin or coffee or whatever. And they always tell you like, oh, let me get your number. Hey, you just got a free muffin. You want to use that today? Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I'm getting a little bit of love. It's, n- it's never, you know, I'm not getting a free car. I'm getting a free muffin. But it's that uh, what we find neurologically, it's the person engaging with you. Hey, thanks for being a loyal Panera customer. You know, you got a, a free muffin today. Would you like to use that or a free dessert or a free whatever? Like, oh yeah, I love that. Versus Starbucks. So I use the app at Starbucks. I like Starbucks, but I use the app. And then the, the and they're generally well-trained people. Then they say, what name on the coffee? You got my app. That should be popping up on your screen. Right? Don't ask me. So they should say, are you paying with the app today? Yes. Scan the app. Oh, hey, Mr. Zach. Great to see you again. Would you like the coffee you had last time? Uh, whatever. Blonde Americano? That'd be great. Thank you. That's what Starbucks should be doing. That's what businesses should be doing. But to me, that's a data issue, right? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, We've covered some amazing ground today. Um, Just in closing, what would be the one bit of advice that you could give businesses to start transforming their their customer base into a group of loyal superfans? I think it's really creating the environment for employees who are on the front line creating value to... Uh, give customers an amazing experience. And I don't think it's commission. I think it's an environment of caring. It's really employee love creates customer love, if I can coin that phrase. Um, so amazing stores that I've worked with, uh, the Container Store uh, in the U.S. does a great job. Um, they spend, in the first two years as retail, they spend 100 hours training their employees. They train them how to engage with customers, how to talk to them, how when they switch the sales associates, um, so uh, they do a great job engaging with customers online once they've uh, made a purchase. Um, so look at this uh, investment in creating employee love to create customer love as an investment in creating higher customer lifetime value. If you can do that and get those super fans to help you do it because they love you, then that love creates money, which creates more happiness. And what a great way to finish. Uh, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.